We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 78 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And some good news on the horizon here as the MLB owners and the MLBPA union have finally sat down at the table and have at least exchanged some thoughts, some things that each side wants. They have not met in the middle on enough yet, but the bottom line is, MLB and the Players Association, they are currently meeting and they are starting to meet consistently. So as we watch this clock and get a little bit nervous about baseball and this season potentially missing any time, there's some good news on that front. And today we'll go through what's going on there. We'll do a mailbag because we've loved the questions you've sent us during this lockout. It's been a lot of fun. And I'd love to give you a player that's worn 78, but it hasn't happened in Mets history. The Mets have never had someone wear number 78. So this is the show without a player attached to the title. And with that, let's bring the man in. Joe, what's going on today? Not much. Just excited to, you know, I I wish we were talking about a completed CBA, but I'm glad that we could sit here today and talk that there is certainly some encouraging things going on in the collective bargaining agreement negotiation getting people in a room instead of over Zoom, doing it on back-to-back days, uh, the meetings actually lasting some period of time. Of course, they're going to be spirited. Uh, Of course, there's going to be issues with each side's proposals. But it seems like things are trending in a direction where I personally am starting to feel more confident that the regular season will be minimally, if at all, impacted. And that's a big sign. Now, what I take away as an outside observer, checking on in on this, probably a little bit less than you, or at least, you know, trying to digest what kind of headlines I see here. There seems to be some big time separation on certain things. And the big issues that stand out to me mostly have to do with the combination of players when they can get to free agency or if they can't get to free agency in a reasonable amount of time, how does the league award the players that are exceeding by a large margin what they're paid while also trying to raise the minimum wage of the major league player as a whole? So Joe, with that being said, one, am I on it? And two, what else am I missing that you think is a really big deal here? Yeah, so I still think the biggest deal, in my opinion, is the luxury tax threshold and what's going to come across that. And it, at least based on what is being publicly reported, that really hasn't been much of a discussion as of yet. Uh, back in the initial proposal, MLB basically said, we'll raise the luxury tax like $5 million or something. So like basically 
we don't want to do anything with the luxury tax. Uh, but as far as I know, that's not a no-go thing for them. And uh, the MLBPA, which I had mentioned previously on this show, that the MLBPA had to know that changing free agency from six to five years was not ever, ever going to happen. MLBPA caved on that in their proposal to Major League Baseball, which is a sign of, it's a good sign, right? Like you're trying to work with what they won't do. And uh, MLB today uh, with said they're not going to eliminate Super 2 and they want and they're willing to work with MLBPA on creating a pool for like you said those players that outperform early in their careers uh granted the difference in what MLB wants to provide for that pool and what MLBPA wants for that pool is like night and day MLB I think said 10 million and MLBPA wanted 105 million so there's quite a gap there Reach financially for the stars yeah, exactly. So there's quite a gap there. Um, and the real and the minimum salary, of course, is something MLB's willing to up it, I believe just over 600 and 600,000 and the MLBPA wants 775,000. So the reality here is they're speaking the same language now and that's huge. Uh, the numbers are off, sometimes drastically off like uh, I mentioned for that that pool for players, like some of the numbers are really off, but they're talking about the same stuff now. Now it's a matter of getting together and finding a middle ground that's that's good enough for both sides. And I think one thing that a lot of people are certainly pro player, I am pro player. The harsh reality of this situation is uh, the owners will always at least slightly win because the players have game checks to lose and they're not typically willing to do that for too long. So uh, ultimately I think you'll find, you'll find that middle ground and they are making progress and they're getting in the room. Like you said, consistently, this is back to back days and reportedly they will meet again later this week. So as long as this consistent contact and discussion comes, I think you're, you're going to see a little growth each time they talk. All right. The MLBPA caved on this. The MLB caved on this. Like each talk, there'll be a little more. And then before you know it, there'll be a deal. So we're moving. We're moving. Yeah, it's a checklist, right? You got to go through everything. Each side's going to come in, you know, probably really high. It's something they want. For example, like the players union wanting the minimum to be raised to 775000 And the owners come in saying, We'll offer you 615000 And then at the end of the day, maybe you get to a number that's 675, 680. I- I'm spitballing here, but that the fact that they are finally putting the issues or most important things on the table and putting actual concrete numbers down as offers, even if the one side might be laughing, right? Like when Jeff Passan said that. The pre-R bonus pool. Players are laughing at the league's offer of ten million. You said the league, uh, the players wanted one hundred five. You know, maybe that gets up to forty-five or, or fifty-five, or, or who knows. But the bottom line is, at least they finally have a spectrum, right? I think that's the most important thing that you need to establish in all this, rather than being children and not speaking to each other, not making progress, is estab- establishing a spectrum and saying we are here, the other side is here, and at some point. One side might only move 
you know, 40% over. But then on a different issue, maybe that side moves 65% over. So I'm not overly optimistic with these two sides in general. I haven't been. I've been worried about baseball uh, for a long time. But I do think this week is finally some good news on this front. Yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, generally I'm optimistic about the owner and player relationship going forward. Uh, but I'm certainly feeling a little more optimistic about where the 2022 season is headed and where the next five years of collective bargaining is heading towards. So that's a good thing. Um, I mean, certainly it, it could be way worse. They met before the owners chose to lock out the players. They met in person for seven minutes and just didn't even bother a conversation beyond that. And then they did not speak for 42 days before uh, the first proposal actually went out. Now they met in person, which I think is is a big it's a big step to get in person to meet instead of doing it over Zoom. I know many probably don't think that, but I think it's a good thing to be face to face sitting at a table, especially the the clock's ticking. Like the reality is if you want the season to kick off on time, you need to have a deal by, I don't know, February 20th, give or take. Like anything much later than that, you at least begin to put it into jeopardy because uh, you have people that are you got to give seven to 10 days for reporting because you have guys that need to get here from other countries. Uh, guys, not everyone's going to be able to just drive to Florida and ooh, I'm at spring training. Um, you're also going to want to leave some time for a rash of moves. Like, I mean, we got a couple questions that, you know, we could talk about maybe next week, but some questions about potential post lockout moves like that market's going to go fast and furious. So you want to leave a little time for that to happen. Uh, but they, they met for two hours in person on Monday. They met for an hour in person today and supposedly they may meet again this week. So all in all, we're moving in a positive direction. It doesn't mean that a deal's close. Um, it doesn't mean that a deal's imminent. It doesn't mean that the terms make a lot of sense to a lot of people because I think, I mean, as a typical fan, I would read Jeff Passon's tweet and be like, 10 million versus 105. These, these guys are never going to agree. And the reality is they will. <laughs> Um, they'll find, like you said, maybe it's 40 million, maybe it's 45, 50, something like that. They'll find somewhere in the middle of the two. And, you know, there will be baseball. You hope that uh, regular games are minimally, if at all, impacted. Um, it's very likely you'll have a truncated spring training. But let's just keep this positive momentum going. Meet again. Talk about uh, more core economic issues. And let's let's find ourselves to to baseball. That's exactly right. And let's take this podcast more to actual baseball and get into the mailbag, which has truly, you know, I never thought I'd say this, Joe, but I think there will be a very, you know, like a sliver of me that will miss these lockout shows because it has allowed us to get so far off our typical pathway that we throw, we get questions. Like, it's almost like we're really challenging the listeners to send us um, the best of what they got rather than just reacting to the moment, right? Like, why is Jeff McNeil slumping? Why is Jacob deGrom, you know, going to win the Cy Young? Like, all those things are really fun, and I miss baseball. And like I said, this is a sliver of me, but I have had a lot of fun, and a lot of that is because of the listeners, not just for the actual podcast when we build the rundown, but the Thursday 
or the latter half of the week streams have been a really good time as well. So first question right here from Tom Rayfield, who said, when visiting City Field, what game day traditions, routines, superstitions do you have? Joe, do you want to go first here? And I know you're going to sneak in your uh, get to the ballpark early, get the hot dog, get ready to go. But I want to hear the full thing. I get to the ballpark very early. Uh, I like to tailgate pregame, not like a big football tailgate, obviously, but I bring a chair. Um, I sit. I like to have a couple beers. I like to have some snacks. Um, a tradition is I usually take a shot of something before I go in because we'll Love bring that. a couple a couple shooters or whatever. So have a couple beers, have a shot, go in, and like you said, get the hot dog, get the beer, sit down, settle, and uh, relax. But for me, my traditions and routine is get there early because I I'm gonna be honest one I don't like being rushed because if you're getting there late then you feel like you have to run in and find your seat and even if you're going fast you're not getting in in five minutes and getting to your seat so like I can't miss a pitch of baseball Uh, so I like to get there early and frankly I also hate traffic so I like to get there where I can relatively easily get off the highway get into the parking lot and if I'm there a little early for the most part it's summertime it's nice out that's really not the worst thing in the world that i get to hang out and wait for the game and throw back a couple beers and then like i said definitely definitely part of my routine is take a shot before i go in yeah i love that i think for me with baseball i have less of a routine than when i had going to jets games growing up but with baseball it's also i really only go with like two groups at this point i either go with my dad and his firehouse buddies which is more of i've been in the city working i gotta get my ass on the seven train i get there they've already been drinking at mcfadden's i have a time i have time for maybe two beers at mcfadden's and then we go up and have a great time uh with that crew that's a lot of fun but it's definitely a little bit more of a rush but then the other crew I go with is, and I think I've said this before, my girlfriend and her family, which she has two brothers, they have kids. So this is a big crew of people that also are diehard Mets fans. We go more of your route where we, you know, since there's usually kids, we are going on the weekend day games or four o'clock games. We are parking in one of the more open lots and we are going to eat we are going to have beers for about two hours it's just a lot of fun it's when it's nice out like that it's the way to do it is to be in the parking lot pack sandwiches pack a cooler of beers and then when you get in you know get in early enough that you can go get food or you can walk it's honestly and i say this all the time about city field but i really mean it after going to a lot of different uh sporting events stadiums city field is a beautiful ballpark to get lost in i mean you can walk around and find different things in the park. I think in the outfield area, there's so much to do or see. Uh, You can go a million times and it's still a great ballpark to find a different area to stand in, right? And just have a beer and stand there and from standing room, watch the game from different angles of the ballpark. So I do think it's, um, I think in that sense, it's, it's a good park to get into where usually, you know, you're so used to staying outside of it. But when you have a big group of people, that's absolutely the way to go. And I love what you just said about the finding a different spot to see things. Cause I always will do that. Cause I have to get up mid game to get a beer or whatever. I'll take a walk. I don't yep. just run and then run back to my seat. I'll take a walk. I'll stop. I'll watch a couple at bats. Cause I mean, frankly, I tend to sit. I mean, we talked about this, I think last week, 
you know, where we like to sit. I'm typically, my seats are basically almost always around behind home plate, maybe a little off center, but as close to behind home plate as possible. So it's nice every once in a while to take a walk down the third baseline or first baseline and look and watching it bat, which I think it's a credit to city field and it's kind of a a more modern uh, field design, but having the ability to basically watch the game from wherever you are on the concourse level, like it has that view out unlike you know Shea Stadium, which had everything kind of blocked off and you had to go up the ramp to get to your section uh city field you have good views from basically wherever so that's definitely an underrated thing which um maybe is not quite so much routine or superstitious but uh yeah it's definitely something that i like to do just to check it out from different vantage points Ooh, superstition honestly with the mets i typically don't have any superstitions i would say like with the Rangers and Jets, I've always had very specific routines, especially, you know, when you're in Manhattan, it's a little different of what you can do and walk to the game. With City Field, you get there and like the things at your disposal are are generally pretty limited, I would say. Like you're either out in the parking lot doing exactly what we said, or you're in the ballpark and you know, you can explore a lot of different places to eat, but the bottom line is it's it's a busy ballpark where the lines are pretty long for a lot of the more unique places. And, you know, you and I have said we've established ourselves as guys that like we just we won't wait and miss that much of the game. So and I understand people that do, especially if like you have kids or you don't get to the ballpark often, you might have flown in and you really do want to experience those things. Um, but yeah, the lines make a lot of it pretty much undoable in that regard, I'd say. One superstition I will say I have, and and this applies for football as well, it's jersey related. Um, I'll wear a jersey, and if the Mets lose, I won't wear that jersey to a game again until the rest of my jerseys have a loss in them. Okay, and then I re- and then I restart. Football, I do it every week at home. Like I don't sit at home and watch Mets games in jerseys, but every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whenever the Cowboys play. I wear a Cowboys jersey even at home by myself. Baseball, I'll just I don't wear anything at home. But when I go to the game, I'm always in a jersey of some kind. Um, I have a handful, so you know I I typically won't go through all my jerseys in a year more often than not. So, but that's kind of my thing. I, I'll wear so if I go to the first game, I might wear my Lindor jersey that I have, and if the Mets lose, I will not wear that Lindor jersey until. I use up the rest of my jerseys. Like basically the loss, it's gone until everything else has a loss too. Then it resets. Baseball is like that for me too. I, I don't, I always go to city field in a Jersey and I'm not like that for every single sporting event for, but for city field, I have a rotation of strawberry doc Gooden. And the only modern one I have is Alonzo. And I will, I will always wear one of those three. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time I probably didn't, I even did. I wore the jersey over a jacket and hoodie and that kind of stuff when they were when in the playoffs because it was so cold at the time. But I don't care if it's like 100 degrees because obviously the jerseys are really thick and heavy and you just sweat up a storm in them. That's always the go to at the ballpark. I do like your idea of uh, wearing putting one aside after a loss and not bringing it back until. So that's a good one. All right. The next question from Paul Mundinger. He asked, do you think there has been a shift in how front offices value prospects versus MLB players? The 2021 deadline seemed to have significantly higher acquisition costs in terms of prospects. 
than in years past, leading me to believe that MLB level players are valued greater nowadays. So my quick take on this one is that very often it comes down to what the market presents itself. And I think last year you saw a market where there were a lot of buyers and there was a lot of competition. And I think when it came down to it, at the end of the day, the Mets were in a unique spot that they did not have those middle tier prospects to package a volume of players. So instead they had to go quality over quantity and give up a former first round pick to get something in return. So I don't necessarily know if I think players are valued more than prospects. I think it was more circumstance. And I think the circumstance was even more magnified because of the Mets farm system situation. I agree with that. The buyer seller dynamic is big. And this year was it was a pretty unique one. And also, if you notice, most of the buyers this year didn't really have strong farm systems for the most part. Uh, so they're you know, more in position like the Mets were, where they had to give up more in prospect capital in order to actually obtain something. Whereas a team like the Yankees, who are a little more deeper in prospects, were able to make a couple trades without parting with their really top type of guys. So I think that certainly is a, a factor. But as far as like a general concept, I don't know if anything's changed per se. I think, you know, it's one trade deadline. Let's kind of see how how it progresses forward and see if this becomes a continuous trend. Otherwise, it could just be, you know, one of those years where things just went more for other years. And then this deadline, we go back to the cost for rentals being less. But I think it's actually a really good question. I um, think it's valid, a valid thought. I just don't know if we have enough of a sample size yet to say that there really has been that much change in the market. Uh, more so, maybe it was just very specific to 2021 and kind of the landscape that it was. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it was a little bit now, you know, a couple more like that. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Paul, on the point that maybe things are changing. Um, I do think we're living in an era with sports and this is baseball and this is everything as a whole where. Number one, front offices are so much more magnified today than they ever were because of social media, the coverage of sports, the popularity and ep economic impact of sports, it is left more, you know, to put it in perspective, when I was in college, I never thought that I would, uh, you know, you, when you want to be somebody that covers, say, like the NFL draft or MLB draft for a living, right? It's not like it, for a living, everybody at the time just looked at Todd McShay Mel Kuyper and Mike Mayock. That's three spots in the entire world. And now you live in a world because of how profitable and how the demand is for coverage that those jobs do exist in a higher quantity. And because of that, these guys are covered more. Front offices are covered more. And I think what you're seeing is enhanced and increased pressure on these front offices that has led to more front offices and bigger markets going all in because sometimes if you don't go all, go all in and you just drag your feet you get fired anyway so you might as well swing for the fences and i've had this i've had this conversation with executives in sports before that in in bigger markets the smaller market executives that you talk to that it's everything's a little bit and not even as much today but everything's a little bit more chill you have more time 
But if you go to New York and you don't get things right in the first two years, the heat is on you right away. So you look at like what the Rams model have done in the NFL, constantly going for it. Obviously, there's a lot of teams in the MLB that operate this way, too. I think that to me speaks to why sure things have become more valued than prospects across sports. I think that's a really valid point. And I think what's actually kind of funny is you could almost look at it the other way, too, where I think in at times you have also seen teams become overly gun shy because yes. of the because of the coverage of prospects that are out there. Like, I can't tell you deadline time, offseason time, you know, we'll talk about possible trades with prospects and Fans know who these prospects are now, and they're like, no, no, you can't give up Mark Vientos. No, you can't give up JT Ginn. Um, so I think there's almost been, to your point, there's pressure to win, on, but also pressure to not trade your prospects, which is a basic, in, basically an impossible task for a front office to actually accomplish. Uh, just continue to get better, but don't give up talent. Uh, so I think the coverage of prospects, like you said, um, how, you know, it was just Todd Ma Mel and Mike Mayock. And now you have you, you have Trevor, which, you know, new, new NFL draft podcast, NFL, NFL stock exchange, Thank you, Joe. right? Yeah. Look at that. But, um, I think, I think it's very interesting that prospects are now more of a thing. Uh, I I've said this a lot on this show. There was a time that nobody else cared about the Mets minor leagues or prospects, but me. And Toby Hyde, who at the time was, they had Mets minor league blog, which was like associated with Mets blog. Like that was pretty much it. Nobody really cared. Now you have all these different avenues to find prospect content. And, uh, you know, it's at the point now where SNY has guys like me and Jacob covering prospects. And, you know, we have the Mets perspective video series. So there's investment in the prospects through the media which I think inherently puts pressure on the front office to be smart about what prospects they draft, what prospects they sign out of international free agency, and which ones they trade, because there is backlash to it. There absolutely is. I think it's the world we're living in where, you know, you say this all the time, like people didn't know, besides a couple message boards, people weren't educated on farm systems, I don't know, say... 10 years ago, right? Yeah. And now you live in a world where we're at, we're at at heart a team podcast. This is a Mets podcast. But we are lucky enough that we have you who also covers the MLB draft. And when you first brought that onto this show, like I I'm always interested when for covering the NFL draft full time, I'm so fascinated by the MLB draft, the NHL draft, everything like that. But I I find even our listenership now is so aware and interested in all levels of the farm system, at least the first round or two of the draft, like things have changed so much because now the coverage is available and present to them where areas it's not that long ago that it just didn't exist. So it's a dramatic shift. 100%. Dramatic. Very quick. Like I never, ever, ever thought I'd be at the point where I'd have people tweeting me asking about drafting somebody. That would that never happened just a few years ago. Like no one really cared. It was kind of like maybe on, on the day of the draft, they'd put it on and then they'd just go, who's this guy? All right, well, we'll see him in three years. Now, like I, I'm going to put out mock drafts, I assume, again this year. And when I do that, 
there's going to be people that tell me that's not who they want. They want this guy, which I'm sure you deal with enough with the NFL draft. But the, the MLB draft, the MLB draft is growing to the point now that the investment is real. And to me, I love it. One, I get to talk more about it, which is great. That's what I love to talk about. And two, it puts more pressure on me to be better in my coverage where like I'm going to get questioned on things like, a f- you know, not that I wasn't working hard, but just a few years back, could you know, what I said was what I said. There wasn't a ton of blowback for anything I said. Now, like, you better be on point because everyone's into this now. And if you say something, they're going to come. They're going to come back at you. Yeah, for sure. There is no, um, you know, people out there, if anyone's trying to pretend it, it's that's you can't do that in this era. That's for sure. So. All right. A long one there and, and really enjoyed it from Paul. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Next one from Abe. He said, what's the all-time Mets trader free agent signing that made you say, my God, that was a mistake? So I'm not sure if this is supposed to be like at the time you knew it or you just look back on it. For me, the one that at the time I was like, uh, uh-oh, and ended up being really, really bad. And this is like not like, a, oh, wow, I was right. Like this is more of like just bad feeling in general it was Jason Bay uh, because it, once again, it's it's kind of a time where and correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, like the Mets, like when they made a big move, it, you really had to nail it. You can't suffer from missing on the big move because it's not like they were a franchise that could just eat all that money and supplement it with another big move that makes it go away. And when you look at Jason Bay, people were even questioning it as soon as the Mets made the signing. They were looking at it and going, all right, you're signing a 31-year-old player. Yeah, he's he's coming off you know, a big year where he hit 36 home runs, no doubt about that. But we know what guy happens to guys, especially that have built their game that way on the wrong side of 30 very often. 
and it everything basically went wrong honestly with Jason but his power just was zapped obviously the change of ballpark didn't stay healthy um Jason Bay is the one and I'm speaking in my lifetime I know there's probably a lot of Mets fans listening to the show and I've, I've read up on my Mets history that are probably looking at like a George Foster or a Bobby Bonilla things like that but just speaking in my lifetime since I became uh enamored with the offseason trades and free agency Bay is always the one that sticks because that Joe led into a awful era of Mets baseball for a long time. Jason Bay was the epitome of the previous ownership with how they would always go for the second guy or the third Bingo. guy. Matt Holiday was the guy that offseason. And I think he signed for 80 something million or 90 million. Like, I don't think he got over 100. I could be wrong, but I thought he got sub 100. And Jason Bay was 60-something, but the previous ownership refused to go to the lengths that were required to sign Matt Holiday. Thus, they settled for Jason Bay, and you know the results obviously were what they were. What I'm going to go with, though, I'm going to go with trade. You went free agent, I'm going to go trade. The first time, because I've been, I wouldn't say covering, that would be not a good use of the term, but I've been paying attention to the Mets prospects since like 2001. And when they traded Scott Casimir to get to get Victor Zambrano, that was the first time I was like, wait, what? Why are you doing that? What are you doing? And I mean, I'm at that point, I'm in high school, so I'm still a teenager, but I'm still like, what are you doing? And I remember talking to friends at school and they're like, dude, Victor Zambrano is pretty good for Tampa. You don't know what this prospect is going to be. And I'm like. I think he's going to be good, though. And, you know, Casimir didn't necessarily live up to all the hype that he had, but he had a heck of a big league career, and he was pitching this year. Like, mind blown. Like, Scott Casimir actually pitched in the major leagues in 2021 for the Giants. Like, absolutely mind-blowing that he's able to make that comeback that many years later. But, yeah, that was the one that I look at. I'm just like, what are we doing here? Why, why are we trading prospects? And that uh set my mindset going forward why are we trading prospects um but it was always it was always rick peterson man could have he could fix victor zambrano in 15 minutes so i guess 15 minutes is a really long time because it never happened (laughs) yeah that's a uh, notorious one and and going back to your point about matt holiday so holiday yes i remember that craze that offseason and everybody was like oh he's gonna get way too much money so he got seven years, 120 million, and I believe there was a team option at the end of that contract. So it could even be not as impactful for that. There was a way out for St. Louis. And ultimately, it didn't matter because Jason Bay did nothing for the Mets. And Matt Holiday, in those seven seasons, made the All-Star team four times. In the first three seasons, when the Mets obviously needed impact the most, he made the All-Star team all three of those seasons. He hit 28, 22, 27 home runs, and his OPS was over 900 two of those three years. I mean, he was just an all-around force, pretty much, for a team that was still viewed as a rival in the Cardinals. So, yeah, uh, disaster, by the way, a disaster. Disaster. By the way, I haven't watched any of them yet, but Matt Holiday's son's like a top two-round pick in this year's oh. draft. Jackson God, that Holiday. Seems really fast. Yeah, Jackson <laughs> Holiday. You have, you have Carl Crawford's son. It's going to be I a top two that, round pick. Which is cool. Um, 
yeah, the we're getting there, Connor, where all these bloodlines are coming through. But yeah, it does feel like that's a little fast for Matt Holiday, but maybe time's just going way faster than we think it is. Yeah, yeah God, it's it's all over uh, every sport. All right, the next one from Steve Miller, legend of the show. He said, with the A's stadium project gaining some traction, do you think Vegas is the front runner for one of the eventual expansion teams? Joe, I think you've touched on this before. Absolutely. Yeah, a long time ago, we answered an expansion question, and we both yeah. kind of struggled uh, to to go with no-brainers, but I do remember you, you bringing out Vegas, and I'll speak to yeah. it quick from not the baseball perspective. Sports right now, leagues, know the place to be for – not only teams, because you get traveling fans so often, but events is Vegas right now. It, it is a powerhouse for uh, many sports-related things. So it, take it away, Joe. <laughs> yeah, what, whether it's the A's or, uh, like Steve suggested, if they make an expansion team, Vegas is getting a baseball team soon. Um, Oakland has already met with people in, or the Oakland A's people have met with people in Las Vegas already. So, I mean, you have to wager that the Oakland A's are going to end up in Las Vegas once the lease ends on the Coliseum uh, out there in in Los, in Oakland. So, yeah, I think Vegas is clearly the front runner to get a team next. And, you know, the other two te- places to really think about are Nashville. Uh, I know that's a project that's, that is being worked on. And uh, I know that we have mentioned in the past about Theo Epstein when talking about him, you know, will he be the Mets president of baseball operations? Um, I think you shouldn't be surprised if expansion talk comes up in the next few years that you hear Theo Epstein wanting to be part of the group that owns a team in Nashville specifically. Um, and, and of course, Montreal is one that's going to be on the table. You know, everyone wants the Montreal Expos back and the people of Montreal want the Montreal Expos back. So I think if you're looking at places for expansion, uh, I think Vegas is number one, Nashville's number two, and Montreal's number three. I think that would be awesome. Um, I think that, and I'm saying that would be awesome, specifically for Montreal, I think it would be incredible to get a team back there. Um, and I, I think they would, I think they would embrace it and love it. And when you look at Vegas, like I've explained before, it's such a shoe in because so many people love Vegas and now make it a trip where you're going to get road team fans so often. And, and, you know, when you look at the Raiders, the Raiders are such a powerhouse fan base that it's they didn't need that in my opinion like raider fans are always going to typically fill the stadium especially when the team is competitive but when you look at the vegas golden knights a completely from scratch team they're someone that i think they've established a fan base especially since they made a stanley cup in their inaugural season but they're also someone that it's like it's hockey in vegas so it's helpful when you know, New York Rangers fans are like, oh, I want to go to Vegas. Oh, cool. Let's go when the Rangers are there. And like all eight of, you know, these guys on a bachelor party trip can go to a Golden Knights game like that's And I think Nashville especially can capitalize off of that. Like, you know how many people now are like, oh, obviously it's bachelor and bachelorette party mania. But also now those, you know, groups are going to Titans games. They're going to Preds games. And I think Nashville, honestly, would be a great baseball city. I really do. I don't know if 
I don't know how the city would embrace it initially. And I'm, I say that as I'm not skeptical. I truly don't know what their desires are for a professional baseball team. But real estate in Nashville is through the roof right now. You have a tourism economy that is through the roof right now. So when you're looking at you know, where baseball needs to go, the nostalgia tells you, oh, we'd love Montreal. And I, I really do think that would be great. But baseball also needs to go where the money's going to go. And that's why Vegas and Nashville are one and two, like Joe said. Uh, what I'll say is if the A's move to Vegas and it's not an expansion team, it's just the Las Vegas A's or whatever they're going to. I hate if that. They, if, they, if they rebrand themselves or something, whatever. But you take the Oakland A's. Because let's be honest, the Oakland A's are not staying in Oakland. It's not going to happen. They need to find a new home. Move them to Vegas. And then when you inevitably do expansion, it'll be by two teams. Yep. And then you just go, you just go Nashville and Montreal, and you bring back the Montreal Expos, give them an, a you know a fresh coat of paint, get them a new stadium, all that good stuff. And the good part about expansion and why I think um, those two fit, so there's you know you're not going to use Olympic Stadium. So you plan out expansion a couple of years in advance and you say, all right, now you get to work on a stadium. So that way, when these teams come out, there's a brand new stadium waiting for them. They're not playing in some, you know, minor league. I don't know if there's like a minor league park in the Nashville area. I'm not 100 percent sure, but like you're, they're not trying to play in a minor league park or the Expos aren't trying to play in Olympic Stadium like they're getting brand new facilities. And obviously with Vegas, if they agree to, you know, get the A's. They would certainly do it in plenty of time of the expiration of the lease for the Oakland Coliseum. That way, when they come, there's a brand new stadium waiting for them. So those are the three. And if there's expansion or anything like that, uh, maybe Portland, Oregon is another one that has been rumbled about as a place that wants to get a team to. But I mean, I I think Nashville, Montreal and, and Vegas clearly make the most sense as the next destinations for either a team that moves or a uh, an, an expansion team. I mean, Tampa Bay, they wanted to do half their year in Montreal, and Insanity. MLB said no. So could the Tampa Bay Rays eventually become Montreal? Like, that's a possibility, too. I think their lease is up until 2027 or 2028 or something like that, so we got a few years there. But those are, the, those are definitely the cities to keep an eye on. I don't – I know that uh, – a lot of people in Connecticut would love to have a team, but unfortunately, uh, territorial rights go to the Yankees, Mets, and Red Sox. So basically, you can't put a team in Connecticut without permission from those teams. Mm. I, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't think that would be very impactful to the Mets and Yankees. And maybe I'm way off base with that. To me, I mean, the chances are they would be in the same division as one of them. So you're going to sell all those games. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like you yeah. just fill the ballpark with Mets and Yankees fans. For those games, yeah, and, and then maybe you do establish. You'll a, establish a fan base. It'll yeah. take time, but like I mean, I, I I would never not be a Mets fan, but I'd be lying if I said if they put a team in Hart, you know, they have the Hartford Yard Goats, which is a great minor league team. But if let's just say hypothetically Hartford had a major league team, I can't say I wouldn't root for them on the side. Of course, oh I would. yeah, side like, team. Yeah, yeah. If, if they were in the yeah. American League, they'd instantly be right. my side team. Yeah. Very, very easy to do. It's very easy in this era, especially if you root for like bad teams. When you have a side like the, team like the Mets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. When you have a side team, I don't think you feel the same 
passion, stress, anxiety, emotion of like your true love of a team. But it makes it fun. Like it still makes it fun. There's no doubt about that. I mean, when the Jets have were winning and still are winning like two games a year, like I found myself just actively rooting for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Like the Ravens were a very likable team with Harbaugh, a lot of likable players, and and then Lamar, who you know, obviously this wasn't a good year for them, but it doesn't mean I'm a fan of the Ravens, but you do yeah. start to gravitate a certain way when your main professional team is so irrelevant. It just happens. I, I find myself a Bengals supporter. Right Part now? Yeah, absolutely. Right, I mean, right now, they're obviously a really fun team, and I love Joe Burrow. I loved them in college, loved them in the NFL draft, Jamar Chase. I mean, like the Bengals are a super fun team, and the Cowboys are the same thing they're always going to be. They're just going to lose in the wild card or divisional round every freaking year. And up. yeah, I'm broken, 100% broken. And uh, yeah, but the Bengals, like, I'm actually enjoying rooting for them in this stretch. And, you know, obviously Buffalo's fun to watch with Josh Allen. And, you know, Mah- you know what I'm interested to see? Everyone loved Pat Mahomes when he was rivaling Brady. It's turning. How quick? Yeah, it's starting to turn. How quick are people just going to be against Patrick Mahomes? You know, it's so hard because hey, I love that we're going full football here, but whatever, Why not? it's a lockout. I don't care. And and you know what? It's the last 10 minutes of the show, so <laughs> whatever. Um, it's funny to me, and Mahomes is such a likable person that it's hard to fully like turn on him. But right now, and I, I said this a couple of days ago on, on the Stock Exchange, like if you're not a Chiefs fan, how are you not rooting for Joe Burrow's Bengals right now? It's the new kid on the block. It's you. Everybody loves the new kid on the block. It is so easy all the time with us. Like we're Mets fans, so I cannot stand Acuna and Albies. But if we were not Mets fans, how easy it is to root for those guys. Young studs in baseball. It's like when, you know, probably like when you and I watch Vladdy, right? It's like, cool. Don't have to worry about him ruining my team's hopes and dreams (laughs) most of the year. And he's awesome. Like it's that kind of feeling. 100%. 100%. That's the best way to compare it. Like it's it's the young fun thing and I love his attitude after games where he's just like like the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in like 100 years. They're finally winning. He's just like, "Yeah, it's no big deal." Don't like care. It, we just yep. wa- Yeah, don't care it doesn't mean anything. Just all right, we won a game. We'll celebrate or whatever tonight, but that's it. We're just on, on to the next one. Like Burrow has the right he, he has the right mindset and to me he he's that he's that dude for sure. All right, last question of today's mailbag from Johnny, who said, which unit in gym class were you most hyped for each year growing up? So I'm a, I mean, unit, I'm saying like, you know. Like what activity? What acti- sport? Activity, what right? Yes. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this, this word choice of unit, Johnny, and I respect it. I automatically defer to uh, floor hockey. I always thought that was the best. And until they... I wouldn't say take it away because some of, and I won't give any names, my gym teachers found a loophole around it, but dodgeball is the goat of gym. Yeah, but for sure. I don't, Joe, do you remember that growing, like at some point growing up where it was being heavily scrutinized in the media? Really towards my the, later Very years late. Like I'm talking junior, yeah. senior year. Yeah, high school. for sure. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely trending in that direction. But my favorite growing up, which I don't know if anyone's like, I'm going to, I'll explain it. I don't know if you ever, have you ever heard of Matt ball? Maybe go on. Cause we might've called it right. something different. All right. So Matt ball, you know, those kind of like folding blue mats that they would, that they would have for things yeah. like, uh, 
I don't know, maybe wrestling or something, but little folding mats, they would make bases out of them. So you'd play kickball with mats and, you know, you could flip, do all stuff like that. And you, you would keep running around the bases until you were out. You could either be out. We did play by, this. You could either be out by baseball rules or by getting pegged by the ball, yes. like dodgeball style. Um, so we called it mat ball. I think they just used the mats so that way people could do like creative things. Like I remember, I would say I remember me, but then I'd be lying. But I remember other people like running from home the first and someone's trying to run and throw it at them to get them out. And they would jump and flip over the ball and, you know, take a back bump on, <laughs> on the mat. But uh, mat ball was always my favorite. Uh, like you said, floor hockey was always fun. I remember the foam sticks. <laughs> um, Dude, it was great. So, yeah, so floor hockey was good. Dodgeball was cool. I wasn't always the best dodgeball guy, but I was smaller. So I was a smaller target. I was able to get out of the way a lot. But uh, mat, ball, mat ball was my favorite. You could kick a home run. Um you just would keep running around the bases until they got you out. So mat ball was definitely it for me. I'm curious if anyone else knew it as mat ball. I don't even remember what we called it, but I 100% played that at least one year because you do have to have a certain kind of physical education teacher to do that game. Like I, that wasn't like a routinely thing for us, that game. And oh, it was definitely there, something that had to be explained. There's no question that the gym teacher I had, which will remain nameless, Love the idea of kids just whipping dodgeballs. There's always one thousand percent. Always. You loved it. Yeah. And you love. Yeah. You loved when you had that gym teacher that year, because that means you were going to have a lot of fun, like a lot of fun. Um, That's great for me. The society's a little different now, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's funny that we're sitting here and we are not old guys by any stretch of the means. And and I've had this conversation recently. Um yeah, I think the other night I just like looked at my girlfriend. I was like, "Can you imagine having a smartphone in high school?" Like, I, it, number one, it would be terrible. But it's just completely—I couldn't imagine being. And I'm sure we have a lot of teachers listening to this podcast. And I have two of my best friends are teachers. Um, and I just couldn't imagine trying to get the attention of kids in this area. Oh, no chance! Like, I—I'm doing my best to try to limit my phone usage. Me but- too. Even now, like I'm hard, sometimes I'm hard to get my, it's hard to get my attention from the phone. I can't imagine doing it with 14, 15, 16 year old kids um, who want to, you know, do all the TikToks. And I don't want to sound like the old guy, but like, oh, that damn TikTok. But uh, like, it's crazy too about how young kids are getting phones now too. Oh, um, yeah. Like they're getting phones at like seven years old, That's eight nuts. years old. And like, it blows my mind to hear that. And I remember when my mom gave me my first phone, I want to say I was 12 or 13 and it was the little Nokia phone with the snake game on it. And uh, I remember she gave it to me because I think she was getting her first cell phone and they were like, oh, it's if you sign up for a plan or whatever, yeah, you the get package deal, buy, buy one, get one free on the phone or whatever, something like that. So she thought she was doing a nice thing, giving me a phone. And I remember specifically her giving it to me at the bowling alley when, because I was bowling in a league. And she gave it to me and she was like, here, I got you a phone. I remember distinctly saying to her, what do I need this for? And she was just like, I don't know, when you're out with your friends, you could use it if you have to call me for emergencies or 
whatever, if you want to talk to your friends. And I said, uh, okay. Wasn't excited at all. Didn't really have any interest in having it. And I remember also her saying, just so you know, there's no text messaging on it. And I remember saying to her, why do I need to text message? I could just call someone. Which, holy hell, am I different now. If someone calls me, something better have gone awry in life. Like some something must be wrong if you're just calling me yeah. out. The, like if we plan to talk on the phone, it's different. But like if I just get a cold call from someone, I automatically assume something is wrong. Like most of the time, it's obviously just something that could be in a text. But it's very funny how the uh, dichotomy has changed where she handed me a phone and was like, don't text on this phone. And I'm just like, OK, why would I want to do that anyway? I'll just call people. And now, please don't call me. Just text me. Dude, it's so true. Like, I, it's funny to me that you're 100% right about the, the calling and texting. And sometimes for work, on certain instances, I'm up really, really late. Like, Sunday, I was waiting for the game stand. Of course, it, it was the longest game ever. And, you know, doing a show and way past midnight and you go to bed really late. And sometimes, so because of that, I'm not like the normal adult. I feel like normal adults, and you're, you're definitely like this, Joe, are up at like 6 a.m., like the latest, like the absolute latest. And I am yeah, not sure. I am not anymore. Back in, it's funny, when I used to commute into the city all the time, and I had a very Monday to Friday schedule for the most part, I would get up at like 5, 5.30, even though it was a time where I was commuting really far, I used to get up at 4 every day. But in this era of my life, especially working from home and doing stuff really late, sometimes there are plenty of days where I'll sleep till eight, eight thirty. And dude, if I wake up with a a voicemail or a missed call, I think somebody is seriously hurt. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like if you call me during any hour that's not like right around dinner, I think somebody is in in se- severe danger. Honestly, severe yeah. danger, dude. 100% the same way. Like if my mom calls me at any point, I don't care when it is, I don't answer and say, hey, I answer, I go, is everything okay? That's how I open every phone call with my mother if she calls me. But me she, she she texts a little bit, but uh, she's obviously an older person and probably just wants to talk to her son on the phone. <laughs> yeah. But but she, uh, she'll call and I'll just go, mom, is everything okay? She'll be like, yeah, why? And I'm like, oh, you're, I mean, I don't know. You're calling me. So I figured- Something might be wrong and, you know, hopefully that day never comes. But <laughs> but the reality is it's very funny how we've gotten to the point where, like you said, somebody got injured, something bad happened. If you're calling me, like we don't call each other, to, like shoot the shit anymore. That's it's not really a thing. Um, definitely funny how that's how it was when I first got a phone when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I used to, you know. Do the I, I did the vintage, you know, talking on the phone with girls for three hours about nothing. Um, After nine, like, though, it was free. Yeah, a, exactly. After nine. Yep. It was uh, it was night and weekends, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Night and weekends. So after nine, you were free, free game. And then uh, I remember, too, shortly after that phone, getting the Nextel BB phone. Do you did you ever no. have the Nextel? No. What a disaster. What a disastrous <laughs> process. Like the walkie talkie feature was cool, but it would just go off. Dude, those like, things they, were like the loudest. Yeah. It looked like a like you were somebody was on a construction site at all times yeah. wearing that thing on it the was, belt. It was ridiculous. But I I did have one Nextel phone. I, I've had basically everything. Um, 
speaking, I want to do one last thing on phones because we're completely off the rails here. Uh, what's your favorite phone you've ever had? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I never had a BlackBerry. Okay. And I know a lot of people will die on the hill that that's the best phone they've ever I had. Only had. I only had one for work and I liked it a lot. So Everybody, I had a BlackBerry yeah. for work. I never had it for personal life though. Yeah, I know people that are destroyed that it's you know it, it didn't make it to this era favorite phone honestly this is like so lame to say so i finally got a new phone i was on the eight forever and people and i could yeah. get i'd get like made fun of as an adult like i'd sit down and like meet people <laughs> for lunch like in, in my profession and they'd be like you re- you're gonna upgrade that phone anytime soon and i'm like why the hell does anyone care i don't want a <laughs> new works. phone it works great yeah. And then finally, I got bullied into it by by everyone, literally everyone. So now I have the 13 and it's I mean, it's sick. It's a great phone. Battery's great. I watch, you know, I'm always trying to watch shit when I'm like if I'm on a train or wherever I am. So the streaming on it's good. Uh, So that's the easy answer because it's the newest phone and and they're eight million dollars nowadays for something that I I didn't even want. So did you did you get the 20 watt charger to get the fast charging? No, they I mean, dude, they try to sell you like everything in the store I'm, and they're like it'll be nine it'll be like nine hundred dollars for the accessories and i'm like i don't need any of these things i'll tell you should i, I done recom- that no ju- not all like they'll try to get you get everything but i recommend you get a 20 watt charging brick for okay. it okay um, because yeah, this thing takes yeah, I, forever I, dude forever i think charge. It, i think it's i think it's 19.99 or 24.99 right, so like it's it's cheap enough for the brick and it does fast charging i got the 13 pro uh, just yeah, a couple I've, weeks ago, actually. Pro Max yeah. is the one. Yeah. 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 So I just got it. And brink. the fast charging, it will literally, uh, like if you were at zero, which my phone never gets a zero, but if you were at zero, it gets you from zero to 50% in a half hour or less. That's insane. And if you charge it at like, like typically I'll plug in at night, I'll be whatever, 40 something percent, 50%. Like you plug it in, in 15 or 20 minutes is fully charged. 100% charged. So I highly recommend that. But uh, my favorite phone of all time, no question, the T-Mobile Sidekick. Oh, dude. It was Everybody loved the Sidekick. The Sidekick, the sidekick was the coolest phone ever. I Never mean, had, you had one. You had your fave five, too, in T- which was like T-Mobile's gimmick. You could pick five people, and you get like unlimited texting and calling to only That's those cool. five people. Um, but I remember just thinking it was so cool to just flip it open and have – like that was the first time that I had a keyboard. Because it used to be, you know, like if you wanted to type high, it was like four four. And then you had to wait a second for the H to go. Then you'd go four 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 for I. Like you had to hit the thing because there was three letters per button or whatever. Um, the sidekick was the first one that I had. I was like, this is just a straight up keyboard that I could type with. Um, but yeah, we we've definitely gone off the rails. This this is lockout. That's so Mets. It really, really is. And I would say my favorite phone, if I have to get away from the new phone, which better be my favorite phone after everything I went <laughs> through and had to get this, whatever my first iPhone was in college, and I think it was my sophomore year. So you're talking like, we're talking like iPhone like three or like the four or something like that. But that was pretty life-changing because I had a lot of boring classes that were in giant, giant uh, auditoriums where it didn't matter if you were, they, they do not care if you're on your phone, you just had to show up and click in or whatever it was. So that got me through a lot of times, especially during like football free agency or baseball free agency, which is what I cared more about, you know, and for all those teachers out there that say, Hey, you better pay attention. Like you'll never work in sports. 
Uh, how about that? So, all right, Joe, I wanted to get one thing in before we sign off here, real rapid yeah. fire. So Johnny asked us what your favorite uh, unit was in gym class. What was your least favorite? Oh, man. Um, so growing, I loved playing basketball, but I was always the second shortest kid in school. So I got stuffed a lot. So basketball was not my, <laughs> was not my favorite. So, okay. So I don't know if I've ever, uh, like, I don't know if this is normal, but at some point in my tenure in high school, and I think they built it when I was in middle school. So we got a pool, an indoor pool. It was like a really big deal for my district. Obviously a big vote, a lot of money. You can go use it on weekends, whatever, this and that. The disaster I didn't realize is that they would enforce swimming in high school as a unit, as Johnny says, for gym class. Can you imagine getting to, and then some sports teams I played on actually made it part of our workouts, which was even almost worse than doing it in gym. Can you imagine going to school and having to swim for an hour and then dry off reek of chlorine? You could shower for like 20 seconds and then do the rest of your school day. And can you imagine being the gym teacher and have to observe 25 kids in a pool and making sure no one's drowning? <laughs> and they used to, and the only good yeah. thing about it was water polo day. We got to play water polo like Oh, once. that's that's cool. Yeah, it was yeah. cool for the one day of the entire like <laughs> semester. Oh my god, dude. Awful. Yeah. Pack you got your wet bathing suit in a plastic bag in your book bag the rest of the day. Yeah, that that's terrible. Dude, is it that's I, I can't believe this like this shit went on. Anyways, yeah. closing thoughts, Joe. <laughs> I can't believe we made it an hour yeah. at peak dude. lockout, episode 78, yeah. uh, the number dude, no we, one wore. Yeah, uh, what an episode. I, I don't even know what to call this one. This is the most off the rails we I think we've ever gone. But uh, I appreciate everyone's support and, you know, continue to subscribe, download, do all that good stuff. And, you know, hopefully you get something out of this podcast. I don't know. And we'll try CBA again next talk. week. Yeah, we'll try again next week. <laughs> oh, man. If you're still here, I can't say how much I appreciate you. And if you do if, come back if, next week, go if, ahead, Joe. If, if you made it to the end, tweet us. I I, I want to yeah. see how many people. Ask. Yeah. So tweet us at PSL the Flushing at Connor J. Rogers. If you made it to the end of this show, <laughs> tweet us and we'll I don't know what we'll do, but you you win something. Yeah. When we, whenever <laughs> we make merch, I will make sure you get something, whether it's a sticker, a hat, a shirt. I don't care if you know, especially if you meet us, if you know what our least favorite gym classes were, you win. Thanks so much, everyone. We will catch you next week for Baseball Talk. Now you can get McDonald's Crispy Chicken Sandwich. McDonald's Spicy Crispy Chicken Sandwich. And or filet of fish Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.